All right, good morning, Discovery. Like this is going to start a conversation. I always think that's kind of fun. Um, but uh, so I'm excited to be here this morning uh, to share a topic that I'm pretty passionate about with you all in the church. It's a, it's a topic I really care a great deal about. Um, but before we get started on that, let's, let's pray. Um, Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are with us each and every morning. We thank you that you are here amidst us this morning. And we thank you for community, Lord. We thank you for those that you have put into our lives. We thank you for the richness and closeness of the relationships you've blessed us with. And we pray this morning that our hearts would really be open to receive your word and that you really would show us blind spots in our relationships, relationships we've either ignored or not been grateful for. And pray that your work would be done in us. Amen. So uh, let me introduce myself. I have a picture of my family, I think, um, up here. So this is my family. This is uh, Katie, my wife. She just turned 27 again, I think. Um, so Katie is a urologist, so that's a surgeon that takes care of the kidney, bladders, and other things. Um, that's my, uh, so some of you know what I'm talking about. So, um, so you're, you're dating yourself, knowing what a urologist is. So this is my oldest daughter, Elise. She's 10. She just finished up fourth grade. She loves uh, her cats uh, and to play soccer. That's my son, Finley. He's seven. He likes anything with a ball. He loves baseball cards. And my youngest daughter, Gwen, um, who's five and likes Lego friends um, and hugs, really, and, and the Sing soundtrack very much. Um, and so uh, that's me, obviously, in the back. Uh, my name's G.R. Thompson. I'm an infectious disease physician. I work at UC Davis Medical Center. I have a research lab here in town also. Um, and I turned 40 this year. Um, right, so still alive, right? So. 200 years ago, that had been different. Um, so, <clears throat> and when you turn 40, that's sort of one of these natural milestones in life, right? Like graduation, graduation from college, from grad school, when you get married, when you have kids, these are sort of natural milestones in our life. And we sort of take inventory of ourselves. at those. That's, that's a pretty natural thing to do. So when I turned 40, I started to take inventory, but I realized I had new knee pain, which was not fun. Uh, I started caring about my grass, which was kind of weird. Um, <laughs> And, and, but, but seriously, when, when you sort of look forward, you sort of think, well, what are my goals? Where have I been? Where am I now? And where do I want to be in the future? Um, and, and so that's sort of, I'm not a super introspective person by nature, so this is something I've kind of had to learn to do over time to sort of take self-evaluation. When I think through this, the things that I really want, I want to take care of my family well. I want to do meaningful work. I think that's one of the goals we all want to do. We want to, we want to do something for the Lord. We want to, to, to work where we're useful. Um, but one of the things I really want to do is I want to finish strong. And, and so what does that mean? So finishing strong means at the end of your life, whenever that is, and we hope it's a long time from now for all of us, but you're still walking well with the Lord. You didn't fall off the track. You didn't, you didn't take a wrong turn somewhere and end up far outside the Lord's will uh, that he has for you. Well, clearly I'm still here, so I'm not telling you that I have this all figured out. Um, so I want to share with you sort of what I've learned, what I've observed, uh, and really what I hope that all of us can, can, can grow through uh, in this process as we want to finish strong. Um, I've been a Christian for 17 years. Um, I was not a Christian in college, became a Christian in medical school. Um, and during the last 17 years, I've unfortunately seen people that I really held in high regard, some of them even elders in different churches I was in in the past or people I really looked up to. I've seen them leave the church, uh, in some cases even leave their families. So how does that happen? How can that be a cautionary tale to us to finish strong. We don't want that to happen for any of us, obviously. We want to finish this race really well. But it's easy 
to be derailed. It's easy to be discouraged, right? It's hard. There's a lot of obstacles. Things come up in our life that, that we didn't expect that take us outside of our comfort zone. And that's super frustrating. They're, they're not in our control. Um, but in all of those situations, when I've seen people uh, leave the church or give up their faith, it's, it's been in a very predictable pattern. They have first given up community. They have first given up biblical community before they walked away from the Lord. And so that's sort of a churchy term, right? So biblical community. So what is that? And I think that's on the next slide here. So most of these are from Romans, which will make it pretty easy to look through these. But biblical community is different than friendship, right? Uh, so biblical community is to be devoted to one another, to really care for one another as you would a family member, to honor one another above yourself, to enjoy a spirit of unity, to accept one another, to instruct one another, and to greet one another. So these are a little different than friendship. Biblical community can certainly overlap with friendship. They're not mutually exclusive, um, but, but sometimes quite different than relationships we have at work, which can be a little more superficial. So this is really our definition of biblical community that we're going to look through today. And when we have people in our life that really give us biblical community, they are devoted to us. Um, they constantly point us back to God's plan for us in our life. Um, but so often in 2017, we don't pursue this in a deep and meaningful way. Uh, we, we often pursue relationships that make us feel good about us, right? We, we don't often like to hear feedback from friends that we don't want. We don't welcome that in our life. Uh, and, and overall, that will, that will sway us, that will get us off the path that leads to a close and abiding relationship with the Lord. We sometimes just want relationships we can get something out of rather than pour into, and we shirk these difficult conversations. So you've probably been having coffee or something with one of your friends, and they say, oh, I really feel like I need to talk to this person, but I just don't want to. It's too difficult of a conversation. We, we too often don't step into that. We don't step into these hard times even when God calls us to. Uh, and that's really in stark contrast to Proverbs 27, 17 that you can see on this next slide. So, and that's a famous verse that a lot of us have heard before, right? So as iron sharpens iron, one person sharpens another. So I put up a picture of this visually so that you can see what this really means. So this doesn't look like a soft process, right? This isn't a nice hug from your friend when a difficult conversation needs to be had. So if you look through what's happening with these different pieces of iron, one is actually losing material. These are the rough edges that they don't need. These are the rough edges that are preventing them from doing the job that needs to be done. Right? So the other one that's doing the work, uh, they're under pressure. So there's pressure, right, to strike this other piece of iron, but they're also found useful. So as a result of this relationship, one is found useful, even though it's under pressure, and the other one is being sharpened for future work. And that's how our relationships really need to be. One is strong and one is weak, but together both are improved. One is useful and then one becomes sharper. So that's very different. That's not surrounding ourselves with like-minded people. Okay, I think that's really difficult right now. We all want to surround ourselves with people that tell us basically what we want to hear. Um, but being one is sharper and one is found more useful. And this allows us to be challenged, to be refined, and to be encouraged. Uh, and this really leads us on a path uh, that, that improves us, that, that allows us to stay on this path that the Lord has for us. And as a result of that, we're able, hopefully, to finish strong in the future. So I want to use an example um, that I think most people are partially familiar with, okay? So raise your hand if you've heard of Billy Graham. So probably most everybody, right? Um, so uh, in 1945, there were three rookie evangelists in the United States, and Billy Graham was one. Uh, Chuck Templeton or Charles Templeton and Bron Clifford were the other two, and you've probably never heard of them. 
1945, all three of these men burst onto the scene. They were all in their early 20s, so, so very young, and they were extremely gifted and talented young pastors. Uh, Billy Graham spoke to up to 30,000 people a night uh, early in his ministry. Uh, Graham was a full-time evangelist for an organization called Youth for Christ that Templeton was actually also a part of. They knew each other well, as you can see here from this picture. Um, and, and God used Billy Graham, obviously, really well in that situation. But Chuck Templeton and Bron Clifford, who we have not heard of, had been described as multiple other pastors as far more the gifted of the three of them. Um, Chuck Templeton was described as tall, um, eloquent, and handsome. Um, he spoke to crowds that often exceeded those of Billy Graham's, and the same thing for Bron Clifford. Uh, Bron Clifford was actually called um, the best pastor in the last several centuries that had come onto the scene in the church, and that's quite a compliment for someone. So what happened to these other two? Why did we not uh, hear about them? So basically, they shirked community in one way or another, and both of them ended up completely leaving the church, and only Billy Graham of these three that started really well survived and finished strong in the course of his career, and that should be sort of a cautionary tale for us. We can climb pretty far based on our own abilities and attributes and giftings, but we can't finish strong without community and constantly turning back to the Lord. Um, it's not how well you start, it's how well you finish. Uh, we're all capable, again, of really starting, starting well, of rising up the ranks based on our own ability and our own strength, uh, but endurance is what is really required to finish this race strong, and that's hard. Endurance is difficult. Uh, to complete a task, we've got to run this race, and Paul repeatedly talks about this race that we have to run on this next slide. I'll show you two of the examples. Uh, so from these two different verses, the first is 1 Corinthians 9, 24, and that is, do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Uh, so if you just sort of take a cursory look at that verse, that sounds like we're competing with each other. That's not true. Uh, this is not a race where we're competing. When they say run the race in this way, you're running as if you would win. You're giving your maximum effort. Uh, you're running as if you're going to win. And then in 2 Timothy 4.7, Paul says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. So for some of us, the word race is not a welcome term. Some of us don't enjoy running, right? Um, and that can be daunting. This is very different uh, than what we're used to. Um, you can sort of mentally prepare yourself to run 100 yards. You can see the finish line. It's not that far. You wouldn't have to train. You know it's going to be pretty quick and easy. Um, but what if you start to think through races that are much longer, a 5K, a 10K, half marathon or marathon? Um, I'm willing to bet these are all races you would train for, you would put effort in, uh, emotional energy in, probably financial effort in, and you would probably, the longer the race, try to talk other people into training with you. You would probably get other people to participate in your race day because you know that the obstacles during a marathon are substantial and you are going to need their encouragement. Uh, and we too often forget that they need our encouragement as well. It will sort of become a very selfish society, and me included, uh, but we have to give as well as receive from those around us. Um, so the other thing about these races that sort of, you know, Paul uses these different um, examples of, of a race it, we don't get to choose the track, right? We wish we did, but we don't get to choose the track. We don't get to choose which obstacles come up. We don't get, if, if, raise your hand if you've run a marathon in the past. So like three people, that's really low for nowadays. Um, I bet you all have bumper stickers on your car though. Um, so, um, but we don't get to choose. I mean, so often I hear marathon runners, they really complain, why is there a hill on mile 21? But that's the same thing in life, right? We don't get to pick our track. 
But we get to pick who we surround ourselves with, um, and we get, to, we get to pick who we want as, to encourage us in our life, and we get to pick who we want to encourage. Um, and I think that's really something we have, we have far overlooked. So one of the real problems with this race analogy that Paul continually offers is very different than what we're used to. We're very used to races we can see the finish line. Uh, so a 100-yard or a marathon, we know the distance, and that's different than us when we want to finish strong. We don't know when our race is over. We have no idea. It may be next week. It could be uh, 15 or 25 years. There's people in this room that will be here for 75 or more uh, years or more. Um, so if we go to the next slide here, this is sort of how I think of this race. Um, I just wanted to share that with you all. Uh, I think of it like this. I think of it more like a, a, a race, um, like rowing. Uh, I don't profess to know anything about this. I had, I, it's called crew. I only know that because this matters immensely to me for 10 minutes every Olympics, and then I kind of forget about it. Um, you know, we always cheer on our country. But the reason that I like this example of the race is look at all the contestants, right? So in this, there's eight contestants, right? So they're all part of the same team. They're all rowing together. In unison, their, their team is only going to be successful if they're working towards the same goal. But where's the finish line? So it's behind them. They can't see the finish line. So what are they all doing? They're all looking to the captain of their boat. Okay? And so this is how I think of our race in our walk with the Lord. We are in a boat all together as Christians. We are all together in this race. We're dependent on one another. We have to encourage one another. In the midst of this long race where we don't know the distance of, some of us will become tired uh, and even have to stop rowing, but we can still move forward if those around us that we've chosen to put in our life help us and they continue to row until we've regained our strength. But they're also all looking at the captain, and that, they do not take their eyes off the captain for the duration of the race. They don't look at the finish line. They keep their eyes focused forward on their captain uh, to keep them together. And that's what we have to do as well. We keep our, our eyes focused on our captain and our boat, which is Jesus. So if we cannot take our eyes off him, because he knows when the finish line is, and he knows exactly what we need throughout this race. Others in the boat have the same goal. We can all work together, but we cannot take our eyes off the focus, which is Jesus. So if we think about sort of, um, to, to move just a little bit through this, if we think about the disciples in the New Testament, these are obviously examples. 11 of these 12 finished really well, right? I think 10 of the 11 actually were... Um, put to death in some fashion for their faith. They were so vehement uh, in, in the reality and the truth of Jesus, uh, and they can serve as a real example to us. But these disciples were very different from each other. They had different professions. They had different backgrounds. Some of them, by profession, shouldn't have liked each other, actually, uh, which is not a topic for today, but something that would be interesting to look through later. Uh, but they're very different, um, and they certainly weren't perfect. You know, they got an argument about who was going to be greatest in heaven, which we sort of like to chuckle at, but that's exactly what we do too, um, right? So they didn't have an easy life either. They certainly didn't fall short on, on individual days. The, perfect, the, the uh, purpose of finishing strong is not that we'll never make mistakes. It's not that we won't screw up. It's that we want to continue on the rest of the forward plan to finish strong in our walk with the Lord. Um, so, you know, when Jesus was arrested, they were scattered, right? They, they, they all fled. They were fearful, so there's nothing wrong with that. There, there's days we're going to be in sin, that we're going to be, we're gonna, the obstacles in front of us are going to overcome us. Um, and that's okay. We just continually have to turn back to the captain of our boat, to turn back to Jesus. Um, so the disciples were constantly tortured, thrown in prison, and repeatedly beaten. So how were they able to run this race well? How were they able to finish strong? Um, if you put up the next slide here, which is in Mark 6-7, uh, where they talk about how these disciples were sent out. They were sent out 
uh, I'll just, they're calling the 12 to him. He began to send them out two by two. So the disciples were not alone. They did not try to do this by themselves. So there's more to this than that. So if, if there's two people, right, so you have two witnesses, which is better than one, but they're also there to offer each other constant encouragement amidst all the difficulties they encountered uh, during the course of preaching uh, Jesus at that time. So from this, what, what do we learn? So I, I believe really to finish strong, there's two essential things that we have to do. And the first one is, is very obvious. It's to stay in the word. Uh, we stay in the word to stay focused on the Lord, the captain of our ship, and we stay in community with other men and women. So the first one of these, stay in the word. This is really self-explanatory. This is why the Bible is preached here each and every week. It's why the Bible is the focus of our community groups and our homes throughout the week. It's our guidebook, instruction manual for all we do. Uh, we can have confidence in its truth, its accuracy, and, and sort of <clears throat> uh, what we have learned by personal experience through the Holy Spirit and how he teaches us through the Bible. Um, so this is, this is different, right? Um, uh, the way that biblical community is discussed in the Bible is, again, different than friendship. Please don't confuse those two terms. Again, they can overlap, uh, but they're different. Friendship is not always driven by a shared desire to pursue God. Biblical community is. That's why its, it's correction is, uh, is in constancy is always correct. It constantly points you back to the Lord in biblical community where friendship may not. Friendship can be based on lots of other things. Uh, but the, the first one of these, again, is stay in the word of God. The Bible's our map and guidebook, and the importance of that cannot be overemphasized. Uh, but the point of the message today really is the second uh, part, which is stay together with other believers. So stay in the word and stay together with other believers. Um, and this is really what I want to emphasize again. And to return to our analogy of the rowers in the boat, we can't see the end of this race, and we again will grow weary. This is a long, long process. Uh, we'll become fatigued, we'll become irritable, we'll take our eyes off of our leader. And it's just so important to surround yourself with people that will constantly point you back to the Lord. And again, this is not a one-way street. The Lord is gracious in our relationships. And I think one of the really cool things is if you have a good friend or somebody that you've been able to walk uh, alongside of in a relationship with the Lord, you're almost never down at the same time, right? One of you's down and the other's up. So you're to encourage that person. And in the future, that's often uh, repaid. You're, you're up and they're down, and it can be repaid in that way. But that's what we're to do to encourage each other in a walk with the Lord. One is up and one is down, uh, but almost never both at the same time. And as we look through that, I want you to sort of ask yourself some questions. So who in your life are you allowing to have a voice right now? Who have you surrounded yourself with? Is it a, really a source of encouragement in your walk with the Lord? Is it a source of discouragement and that constantly pulls you away from the Lord? Who do you have in your life? Who is in your community? Uh, and why are we called to be in community? So if we look back at Genesis 1.26, you can see this verse. Uh, then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So the key here is that first part, let us. Uh, so that's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. This is before creation. So um, God is in perfect and eternal community at that point with Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So we were, again, also created to have community with other believers, but we frequently don't. It's one of the first things we let go when we get busy, when we get angry, when we get frustrated. Uh, we just think, I can't do this, I don't need this. Um, and it's one of the first things, again, to go. But again, when I think back to the people I've seen leave the church and leave their walk with the Lord, that's always the first thing to go. They give up community, and then they give up their walk with the Lord. Uh, and, and in Hebrews 10, we're commanded against exactly this. 
down. And let us consider how we may spur one another on, so encourage one another, uh, toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encourage one another. But remember our boat analogy, sort of our, our metaphor for this talk. So the boat goes straighter and stays on course if people are there with you. Again, all the people I have known have first discounted the need for community, pushed everyone away, and then taken their focus on the Lord. They end up in a boat rowing wherever they want to go, and they're far off the path they need to be on. And they eventually throw Jesus out of their boat completely. I do fear for a lot of these people that I've known. I fear, how are we going to get uh, these folks back? How do we talk to them when they won't let us in community with them? They've taken their eyes off the prize. Um, And in that, I want to really encourage you in three main ways as we pull up the next slide here. Um, And the first is to orient yourself towards Godward community. Don't overlook people God has put in your life thinking they don't meet some criteria that you think they should have to develop a relationship with. It's almost guaranteed there's already someone in your life if you are not in community that you have overlooked uh, in this fashion. We don't need a best friend, and we don't need someone just like us, okay? Uh, God already made you. You are uniquely gifted and talented with a particular mix of attributes. God doesn't need another one of you in this church, okay? Don't look for yourself when you look for these relationships. Um, We don't need someone just like us. So as an example of that, when I first moved here uh, eight years ago, I met an economics grad student named Andrew Foote, um, who I think several of you all know. And when we first met, Andrew was not married. He was still in school. Uh, He didn't have any kids. Um, He was an economics student. I don't know anything about economics other than what Ferris Bueller taught me in like 10 minutes of that movie. Um, So all the 80s people laughed. I I hear you. Um, So we were were very different. We're politically different. He'd gone to private college. Um, he sat in a different part of the church than I did, right? We have these little silos. Uh, he played football in college, which I certainly don't have the body structure for. Uh, he liked IPAs, which I don't like too much. Um, so we were, we were very different, but we had, he, we had met, and the Holy Spirit sort of sped that relationship up. And, and, and we met weekly for coffee or soda and spent a lot of time together. Even though he's 11 years younger than me, I learned a lot from, from Andrew, and, and I hope that he learned a lot from me uh, as well. But the thing that sped that relationship up is what we had in common, and that was a mutual desire to build the church. We both really wanted to build uh, this church in particular. Um, So Andrew has since, we became very good friends uh, through this process. So it was a great advantage of biblical community with close friendship. Um, He has since moved to Washington, D.C. Okay, so that's the hard part of 2017, right? We're increasingly mobile. People move around. This is Ascending Sunday. A lot of people in this room you're going to probably move uh, even out of state just in the next few weeks. Um, so we can be very discouraged about that, or we can recognize what that is. So, so Andrew and I had a very close relationship, but the Lord needed to move him to a different part of the boat, right? So he needed to encourage other people somewhere else, and I was to encourage different people rather than just him. And that's hard. We, we value those relationships. They're hard to reproduce, but that's what we're called to do. We're called to reproduce biblical community And for those of you leaving for college or grad school today, I'd sort of challenge you to do the same thing. If you have had close biblical community here while at Davis, when you leave, show other people how to do that. Teach other people that's not a supernatural thing in 2017 to have close relationships that are beyond sort of a surfacey feel. So I encourage you to seek those out and not to settle. Show other people what to do. So the second thing I want to encourage you in is to resist the lie of false community. Uh, so what's false community? That's, that's the superficial contact uh, that I was mentioning. That's relationships 
that offer only approval and don't challenge you in a kind and gracious way. That's not a relationship, that's an entourage, okay? Um, and we all sort of laugh at that term, right, because it's charged, but how many times do we see these famous athletes and we think, how did they fall? How did, how did that happen? They only surround themselves with people that tell them what they want to hear. That's a parasitic relationship. That's not a healthy and that's not a biblical relationship. So, so be on guard for that. And I think our biggest challenge for that is really texting and social media. And, and I have nothing against either one of those things. I think both can be extremely useful, okay? But don't allow texting and social media to put up a veneer. Don't let your friends put up a veneer and don't, don't do that yourself. Um, there's no substitute for going someplace with a friend that can look you in the eye and read your body language and say, what's wrong? What's going on? And a lot of times you'll have these conversations and they'll confess like, I lost my job. And you're like, well, you didn't post that on Facebook. Um, and, I, and I don't mean that in a derogatory way. There's nothing wrong with Facebook, but these are adjuncts to friendship. They can't be the basis of your friendship. The problem with social media and texting is, is they're transparent. They allow us to choose what we want to show people rather than vulnerability. So what, to use an example of that, so transparency uh, is like if you drove by my house, I could choose what you saw. I could choose what the yard looks like. I can choose what's in front of the windows, right? So that's transparency. Vulnerability, if I open the door and said, come on in and look around. That's what we are called to do in our life with other Christians. So, so, so to be clear, it's creepy if we do that to everyone we meet. This is a small and close relationship, okay? You need one. Jesus had one, and then he had three, right? So those were sort of the closest people in his life. So you don't need to share this with everyone in your life, but you do need people in the boat with you that will help correct you and talk with you uh, and encourage you, and you are to do the same for them, okay? So I'll use another example of that. So uh, one, one time when I was meeting with Andrew over coffee, I think I'd kind of complained about the same thing for about a month in a row. I was complaining about the finances of our research lab and just the logistics of that and sort of the stress of that. And he finally just said, hey, this is not okay. You can't complain about this. You can't worry about this. You're allowing your joy to be robbed. Uh, and it's, it's not super fun. I mean, that's a pretty minor thing to confront a friend about, right? But that was helpful to me. That I thought, yeah, he's right. You know, you never want to tell your friend like, oh, you're right. Uh, that's always a hard thing to swallow too, right? Um, but I was grateful for that. He, he saw what was really bothering me and spoke into it and prayed with me about it. And I was able to move out of that relatively quickly and release it to the Lord and say, Lord, you're in charge of this. Help me to get over it. Help me to not worry about it, to not waste emotional energy worrying about stuff that's not mine to worry about. So when we surround ourselves, resist the lie of false community. Choose people in your life that will speak what is correct for you. So speak what is good for you to keep you on the path that will allow you to finish strong not just tell you what you want to hear. So the last thing I want to talk about is really to make a priority of community. Um, don't accept the lie that you don't need community. Busyness, grief, um, when we're hurt or angry, fear of judgment, dismissal, concern about our self-esteem, these are really all the things that push us into isolation. Uh, and isolation is a place where you're going to get picked off. It's just a matter of time. You cannot stay isolated. This is a good, if you have not been in a community group or if you struggled in community, this is a good time to sort of make a plan for what you plan to do going forward. Um, we all have excuses and we can, we can get out of community. I'm just tired. Uh, we're too busy, uh, too grief-stricken or angry about something that happened. But you can't walk away by yourself. You're too easy of a target for the enemy. So when we pull up the next slide here, I wanted to use sort of an example uh, that, that we, we see all the time from North uh, Northern California, we're all familiar with sort of the majestic redwoods, right? We love to take people to visit those. And you would think that sort of the purpose of this is to talk about the, the roots and how deep they grow and it takes a long time before they're able to ascend to hundreds and hundreds of feet. 
So it's actually interesting. So redwoods actually have a very shallow root structure. They only go down about six to 10 feet. And you think, that's sort of, that's sort of strange, right? But they actually grow out hundreds and hundreds of feet, and they're in search of other redwoods. Um, and they don't care how old the other redwoods are. Age doesn't matter for these, this sort of um, what's happening with the redwoods. So basically what they want to do is they want to take their roots and they intertwine and they hold on to each other. So they have a shallow root structure, but they hold on to the redwoods around them. They find neighboring redwoods and intertwine for strength and stability and survive the storms uh, that they encounter. And, and just from that, we also should reach out to those around us, whether they're older or younger, it doesn't matter. Again, Andrew was quite a bit younger than me at the time we, we first met each other and became good friends. But that's what we're called to do, is to enter into relationships with each other and to depend on one another, to hold each other up. Okay, you need them, and they need you, and don't, don't miss this point. So these three different aspects of, um, of community, to realize our need and to not discount others, and to not really tolerate false community in our life are really essential in our goal to finish strong. We want to end this race well. We want to finish strong when we're finally called home to heaven. Uh, when we are in heaven with Jesus, we really long to hear those words, well done, my good and faithful servant. Okay? And the only way to do that is to constantly recorrect and do that through uh, the people you've allowed to surround yourself and to maintain your focus on Jesus, the captain of our boat. So as we sort of wrap up, I want to invite the band um, back up today. Um, this series on confidence really draws to a close today. We, we look back at these different topics we've covered. So freedom, confidence, hope, joy, serving, giving, and community. And we can take confidence in these things not because of anything that we have done. We can only take confidence in these things because of what he has done. We can take confidence because of what Jesus has already done for us. Uh, we need only to remember to look up and stay focused on the captain of our boat to take care for who we've allowed to surround us, uh, and he will, he will instruct us. And, and we, we also should take the utmost confidence in his final words to us in the book of Matthew um, when he says, I am always with you. So I know loneliness is a big part of society. About 50% of people in these sociologic surveys are lonely today. Uh, so this, this whole sermon um, really may have hurt, um, and you may be lonely, but seek out other community. God has put people in your life that care about you. Just open up. Uh, to them, accept them into your life. Um, and I really encourage you to that. Stick around after church. Don't, don't run back off. Meet some other people while you're here today. There's people in your classroom at school that probably want a relationship with you. You can encourage one another um, in that. So let me pray for us this morning. <clears throat> Lord, we thank you so much for today. We thank you for the gift of community. And we thank you for the study the last few weeks on confidence. I pray that each of us has been able to move forward in this area of our life to know that we can have confidence because of you, to know that we can be confident because we are secure in you. Help us to have confidence today as we close because what you have done for us rather than what we have done. We can do nothing from our own works without you, Lord. Help us to keep focus on you, to keep focus on you as the captain of our boat. Amen.